that we're not going to talk about just marriage today, but relationships, and in particular, the relationship of God, the overwhelming, never-ending love of God that just never ends, never stops. Every time we sing that song, I just, I just, God just, the Holy Spirit just comes all over me because it's incredibly true. It's unfathomable, the love of God. I remember as a, as a young <clears throat> uh, reclaimed believer, and I remember uh, just thinking and meditating. It was a little blue that day, and I remember thinking, God, why would you love me? Why me? I mean, God, look at me. <laughs> I mean, there's, look at my past. And I just sat there kind of stewing in that and just wondering, and all of a sudden, you know, the Holy Spirit came and just brought peace. And it's just like, I love you because I love you, because I chose to set my love on you. And that's really God. None of us, none of us deserve the love of God. That's really part of that uh, very scriptural song is uh, that we did nothing to deserve it or to earn it, but he just gave it the same. So when we think about Valentine's Day, we think in terms of love in the human sense, oftentimes think about sensual love between uh, married lovers, and uh, if you're a part of the world uh, view, then uh, just sex. Men demonstrate their love by oftentimes, as I said, buying flowers or roses, chocolates, and heart-shaped decorative boxes. And uh, love, uh, though, can be distorted by the world system into something Really, think about this, that God never intended, something that is really not love at all. Our godless culture calls sex, the act of sex, love. You know, oftentimes it takes place in places that it shouldn't take place, kind of cheap and dirty and tawdry, uh, disrespecting really the person that is supposed to be loved just for a moment of pleasure. Oftentimes, it's a one-night stand or a one-time. Oftentimes, in this culture today, and I'm sure in times past and ages past, where the one person doesn't remember the other person's name or really know anything about them. And sex without any or little commitment to the one who is in the relationship is often displayed. But listen, my title of my message today is True Love Is. True love means real commitment. Commitment is a dirty word in today's culture where it's so me-centered, all about me, and the world revolves around me. But true love means real commitment to the one that you love. All the way through, as I said, amazing grace, kind of tongue-in-cheek, through many dangers, toils, and snares, through the trials of life, through thick and thin, sticking together and holding on together because you chose to set your love upon that person. It deepens while it is being tested, really, the more trials and challenges you go through in a marriage, if you stick it and hold it together, you find that really they draw you closer together. That through all of the struggles and the times of want and times of eking out a living, trying to pay the bills, and through health difficulties and other problems, that when you hold on together, that's really true love. I think of the, the poet, <clears throat> I had five daughters, we were talking to, I was talking to Henry this morning and, uh, and, uh, and you know, they're expecting uh, another child and he, he got a boy after all the girls and, and uh, that's wonderful. I have five daughters. I'm like a fiddler on the roof, you know, five daughters, no dowry, you know. 
and uh, Pride and Prejudice, you know, those, those movies, you know, and think of Sense and Sensibility, the daughters without an heir, so the, so the estate goes to a male heir and they have to find a place to live. How many have seen Sense and Sensibility, read the books, you know? I did, they're girl flicks, but um, I had five daughters, so we watched a lot of those together. And <clears throat> in one of them, in Sense and Sensibility, there was a poet and I never really paid much attention to it, but uh, as I was preparing this message, I thought about those words. I believe the Holy Spirit brought them to mind. The poet Hartley Coleridge is love a fancy or a feeling. And he says this, and asks the question, is love a fancy or a feeling? No. It is immortal as immaculate truth. Tis not a blossom shed as soon as youth drops from the stem of life, for it will grow in barren regions where no waters flow. No ray of promise cheats the pensive gloom, a darkling fire faint hovering over a tomb. That but itself, and darkness not, doth show, is my love's being. Yet it cannot die, nor will it change, though all will be changed beside, though fairest beauty be no longer fair, though vows be false and faith itself deny, though sharp enjoyment be a suicide and hope a specter in a ruined bear. And I think how deep that is. You know, people used to be deeper thinkers than we are today. And you think about the words and the questions that he poses, the answers that he gives. It's really that true love between a husband and a wife lasts through the difficult times. And as you age together, what does he say there? Though beauty change, things don't stay the same, be no longer fair, yet the love is not from the outer appearance, but for the heart and soul of the person that is loved. And I can say for many, many years, that my thoughts, <clears throat> especially getting older, have been that, boy, I sure am blessed to have a wife that I'm looking forward to growing old with. And I can't say growing old with, and now I have to say growing older, uh, but uh, um, I can say that she is the love of my life, and we are committed together. And when the hard times came, and oftentimes between couples who have not had a previous covenant that they made as we did when we got engaged at her request, would you promise me that when things get hard is that neither one of us will ever use the D word as a threat. Her parents did, my parents did, and in her heart as a little girl brought such insecurity and fear. And we made that commitment, I promised her, and I have never my knowledge to my memory ever gone back on that and there's been times when the word would come to the tip of your tongue but I'd say no I made a commitment and I wouldn't do that anyway and I, so true love lasts the test of time in fact 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 7 says this love is patient and kind love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude it does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. And I can, I can tell you from a human standpoint that I violated probably all of those. But because of our commitment to one another, we forgave and I repented each time. 
Verse 6 says, it does not rejoice about injustice, but instead rejoices whenever truth wins out. And verse 7, love never, say never, love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Notice that last word, that phrase, endures through every circumstance. And there are times when circumstances come along that the wilting of a relationship or the wilting of a person needs the watering of the love of the one who loves them. I think of my, in my office, and you know, we were donated two beautiful peace plants, and I, peace lilies, and I love peace lilies. They're kind of my favorite plant. And uh, when they were donated after a funeral, they said, why don't you just take them, Pastor? And, and so I put one in my office and one in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, the administrative office. And, and oftentimes it's the case, I forget to water my peace lily, and I come walking in, especially after my day's off, and I walk in and I look over at that poor plant, and it's just wilting to the ground looking dead. The soul, uh, the soil is parched. Sometimes our soul gets parched and needs refreshing and needs rejuvenation. And, and I go out and I get a coffee pot, fill it up with water and walk in saying, my poor plant, my poor plant. And, and I pour water on it and you know what? With, within an hour it is revitalized and it is growing. And sometimes that's all it takes is just a little watering. You know, our relationships need to be watered with, and refreshed with love, with, the, with the, the, the water of life, which is love. And so I think about that in relationship. We need to refresh one another, don't we? Can I tell you that true love is demonstrated when a man's world seems to come tumbling down in pain and defeat and is met by his wife's tears streaming down her face and she looks into your eyes, placing the palms of her hands in your cheeks. And she tells you, you're not alone. That I'm with you. That we're doing this together. And that true love that is demonstrated melts away the frustration, the anger, the pain of momentary hopelessness to allow to rise healing flow through your life. I've experienced that. True love is demonstrated after a couple of MRI tests and the neurologist is 99% sure that your wife has MS. And you think about all that that entails. And while you're in a fog of confusion and you look over at your spouse and you see them staring off in silence as you get down and you tell her that no matter what happens God is good and you're not alone that I'll take care of you and I think about people in this church who have lost loved ones and it seems so unjust and so unfair yet I see that love that doesn't die that holds on to hope. And then when the loved one is taken, they hold on to God. And more importantly, God holds on to them. See, this is true love. 
I, I marvel, and, I, and the older I get, and as a pastor, and I see so many couples that get married, and so much effort and so much expense is put into the cost of a wedding and a, and a, and a, and a, a, a reception. And, you know, I think of my, one of my nieces who got married, and, and they spent, my brother spent twenty-five dollars to $30,000 on the wedding. Fireworks at the end of the reception, and a magnificent meal, and, and uh, a year later they were done. See, that true love stands the test of time. See, true love. True love, story of true love uh, came to me when it was demonstrated when uh, Dave Reavers, Dave Reaver was a young, young Christian. I think he was the son of a pastor, if I remember right his story. But Dave Reaver was in Vietnam and, and uh, riding a, a gunboat down the Mekong River. And uh, a napalm bomb exploded in his hand and his face. And his skin was melted, literally melted. His ear, at least one side was gone, the other very much gone. He was just horribly disfigured. Wasn't expected to live and in a hospital, military hospital, they flew his wife in. And the wives came into this terrible place, this hospital where they were being cared for. And he sat and laid in bed and uh, heard his buddy in the next bed. His wife came in. She took one look at him and said, I, I'm not going to do this. I'm done. I didn't marry a freak or something to that effect and walked out. And that man's hopes left him. And my recollection of the story is that he died. I think he died of a broken heart. And when Dave Reaver's wife was coming in, he was expecting the same. He thought, how could she want me? How could she want me looking like this? And he lay there in bed and his heart pounding when she walked in. And walked over to his bed and looked down at him. Into his face and he said, you don't have to. I, it's my recollection. You don't have to stay. You, don't, you can leave. You can divorce me. I understand. I, the way I look. She says, well, why would I? Because of the way I look. I says, well, Davey, you were never good looking. <laughs> I didn't marry you for your looks. I married you because I loved you. And she bent down and kissed him on his scars and committed their life together and because of that he lived he pulled through and countless young people in in rallies in high schools and junior highs and other gatherings where kids feel mixed up and lost and self-hating some because of some bullied some because they're of their looks they're not good looking they maybe have acne all over their face or they're made fun of you know what Dave does? Politically incorrect. But he says, you know, I'd reach down to somebody's face filled with acne who hates themselves and everybody makes fun of him and I kiss him on the cheek. That's what his wife did for him. You think about that kind of love. And every one of us have our own story. Some of us unfortunately quit before the story is finished. 
at the end of our life. I can tell you that life has never been sweeter for my wife and I. We've gone through a lot of things together, a lot of health issues uh, that I say a lot, but the few that were very challenging, life-changing, and yet we share a life that is filled with good things. Every time I see my children, my daughters, and my grandchildren, my son-in-laws, my heart is filled with joy. And I think, you know, if I'd called it quits, we wouldn't share this together. This is all us. This is all us. I remember the first time our first daughter was born and my wife and her excitement right after the birth, after squeezing my hand till the blood stopped flowing during the contractions, and uh, she held the baby in her arm. She says, oh, look, Tim, this is our baby. We made this baby together. This is our baby. And it just brought such joy to our hearts. And now we share grandchildren and, uh, and the love that they give us and the love that we can give to them and the legacy that is there. You know, love, true love, true love. Is, is hard. It's challenging. It demands from us sometimes to do things and behave and to say things other than what we really want to say. But it's worth it because love, true love, is an incredible healing thing. And I think about the love of God. And something we think about the love of God, sometimes the longer we're a Christian, sometimes, and especially we get a little lukewarm, we start pulling away a little bit, we forget how awesome God's love is. And I think about what is God's love? What does true love look like from God's perspective? God's love is truly amazing. Would you say that? Amazing Grace is a song that was born out of the heart of John Newton, who was a former slave trader and even a former slave himself in Africa, to a black mistress who locked him in a cage and tormented him. He didn't know if he was going to live or die, but he had lived a hard life far from God. And I believe and he believed that because of his mother's prayers who had gone on to heaven, still God was answering those prayers and brought him deliverance. He was a slave trader. And God convicted him of that and he moved out. He ended up being a, 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 a preacher. And he repented and realized the horrible things that he had done as a slave trader. And he truly repented. And he was a part of the solution that of ending the slave trade in Great Britain. Along with Will, Wilberforce and his comrades. But he wrote the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Because he couldn't believe that God would save a wretch like him. Love is, God's love is amazing. I love when we sing about the amazing love of God because my heart soars in worship in agreement with that. And John said that in 1 John 3, 1a. He said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And there's an explanation point at the end of it. Because he is just ecstatic thinking about the love of God, that he would, oh, what kind of love is this? What kind of love? I can tell you it's agape love, the love that is unconditional, that doesn't, isn't deserved or earned, but is given through thick and thin, no matter what. And because we receive God's love, Christ, also we think about he demonstrated his love for us. And 1 John 
23.16 says, by this we know love. And what do you mean by know? You know, it means we've experienced God's love because we know we have experienced it intimately ourselves. Because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. We should share God's love. Not just hold it to ourselves and walk around in delight, but to begin to share. You know, I couldn't wait to tell people about God's love when I got saved. I tell people what happened to my life, that, oh, I'm different. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 18, I couldn't wait to tell everybody about Jesus. I loved everybody. And I'd, I'd, I'd back them into a corner. And, you know, a lot of people weren't my friends anymore because they didn't want it. But I told them I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Somebody says, you still have that problem, Pastor. You know, you can't. But, uh, hey, we got a message to share that because he loved us, we should love one another. God's love is unconditional. You know, that's the greatest thing about God's love because, listen, every single one of us, if we had been saved once and only, and you better not ever screw up or you lose it, none of us would be going to heaven. There would be no hope. But listen, God's love is unconditional. Romans 5.8 says, He demonstrated His own love towards who? Towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what I like to do? I like to personalize Scripture. And I say this when I read this almost every time. I say, but God, you demonstrated your love towards me. Even while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And he died for you as well. God's love is also not only uh, uh, demonstrated to us through Christ and his love. It's not only unconditional, but God's love is sacrificial. 1 John 2.16, by this we know love because why? He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. And my second point is God's love is transforming. It transforms who you are into becoming like he is. 1 John 3, 1b through 3 says, Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we are now, say now, now we are, we are, not going to be, but we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know. Don't worry, we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Total transformation at that point. And he says in verse 3 that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. It is a purifying love because we have hope that cannot be disappointed. And the evidence of a Christian's life is really love. You know, we say that the evidence of Christian life is their testimony, but not just the words of their mouth, but the testimony of who they are and how they live. And not just what they are in public, but who they are in private. True character is seen in private not just in public. We know, John says in 14 of 1 John 3, that we have passed from death to life. Why and how? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. In other words, you haven't really been transformed if you don't love who God loves. While we were singing and worshiping this morning, I always have a communion with the Lord, little conversations as I'm worshiping. <clears throat> and... Uh, and I was just telling God this morning, singing those songs about his love, is, oh, God, help me, oh, God. And this is an often repeated prayer of mine, help me to love 
those who you love and the things you love and hate the things that you hate. You know, because I want to be like him. I, I'm, on, I'm on a journey. I'm not there yet. So don't tell me, boy, you're far away, Pastor. Thank you for that encouragement. Um, but I'm on my way. I'm on, are you on the journey with me? Are we marching towards the transforming power and into that power that can transform us and make us more like him to where we love those who he loves and hate the things that he hates? Oh, love is commanded by Jesus. And you say, commanded? You mean he's telling us to love? Yes, he is. Verse 13, 34 of John's gospel says, A new commandment, Jesus, that I give to you, that you love one another. How are we supposed to love one another? Just as I loved you. How did God love us? In a lot of ways. <laughs> did we deserve God's love? Absolutely not. Do the people that Jesus is commanding us to love always deserve God's love? Oh, no, they don't. Far from it. They don't measure up to my standards, right? Uh, you know. But it doesn't matter. Jesus said, love them just as I have loved you. And that you also love one another. Love one another. You know, you know what holds and binds this local church together? You know, you know what holds us together that keeps us from infighting and division that causes the church and the people to fall apart and pull apart from one another? It is the overwhelming, never-ending love of God that is manifest in our hearts towards one another. That he loved us. I love, I love him and I love others. The overwhelming, never-ending love of God. A new commandment. First John in his epistle, he repeats that commandment in First John and says, remember the commandment of old? I, I tell you this commandment. Love one another. Third point here, and I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way back in just over the next few minutes, is love is also, God's love, true love, is contagious. True love is contagious. It doesn't keep to itself. It doesn't, it isn't selfish, as 1 Corinthians said. It doesn't hold grudges. Uh, it doesn't uh, make you hide from people or avoid people. But, you know, what does John say, 1 John 4, 7, and 8? He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Notice he says, let us. You're part of the body of Christ, let us. And John is known as the beloved apostle. You know, he was the one who, when he wrote about the Last Supper when Jesus was betrayed, is that they went to John and said, can you find out who he was talking about is going to betray him? And he said, so the disciple that Jesus loved. It's like, you mean he didn't love the others? No. John just said, oh, he really loves me. You know, we used to have a joke with our family and say, mom loves me more than you. My son-in-laws all tell each other, Dad told me um, that uh, I'm his favorite. And then they say, well, he told me that too. We tell everybody that because they're all my favorite. And you know what, God, we're all God's favorite. Somebody say amen. And we should love one another and demonstrate that kind of love to each other. Uh, love is manifested, he says in verse 9 of First John, he said, in this 
the love of God was manifest toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. For God so loved the world, John 3.16 says, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life because God chose to send his son so that if we make a choice, the whosoever, that I want to receive whatever God has for me. Have you ever told God whether you're dealing with healing or whether you're dealing with uh, just a blessing that you need, that you're dealing with something that you're lacking in, that you just tell God, God, I want all that you have for me. I don't want you to hold anything back. That's surrender. That's total surrender. It's God, I want it all. You know, that's what I told God when I was trying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and I just couldn't seem, I didn't understand it. I was just all, the, you know, bound up with stuff. Uh, tension and stress and just, you know, and uncertainty and didn't want people to lay hands on me. I didn't like that. And, 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 and you know, because I had so many issues in my life at that time when I was 18. And, 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 but I found myself in a prayer room all by myself. And I just told God, I said, God, I don't understand it. Don't know anything about it. Nobody can describe it adequately. I don't know. But if it's from you, I want it. Give it to me. I just want it all. I'm a hog. You know? <laughs> I'm a hog for God. Yeah, yeah, I want it all. I'm the whosoever. And when you receive the love of God, as I did and have many times over the years, just refreshed with it, the watering of his love, the refreshing of his love, is it leads to compassion in serving others. True love is demonstrated by how we serve others. 1 John 4, 17, but whosoever has this world's goods and see his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? How can this be? Because we share, not in word, but in deed. Somebody say amen. 1 John 4, 18 says, my little children, let us, say let us, let us love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Not just love with word, and tongue, but in deed and in truth, and what you do and how you demonstrate God's love. Love is to be shared. It's to be shared. Verse 10 says, in this we have love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we should ought to love one another. And it's just, you know, he's just like, it's like a mathematical formula here with John. You know, God loves us, we should love each other. If we love each other, then we should share in others' needs, that we should help help them. Somebody, right? That we should demonstrate love somehow by doing something, because true love is a verb, it's an action. It's not just a feeling or a fancy. We share, just as God, his Son, shared with us to be the propitiation of our sin. Propitiation is a theological term that is defined as the act of making peace or doing something pleasing for someone or doing something for someone. What's the difference between propitiation and atonement? The blood is the atonement, the perfect payment, sacrifice for our sins. As nouns, the difference between atonement and propitiation is that atonement is a repair done Atonement is a repair done for the sake of a damaged relationship like we had between us and God before we found Him as Savior. While propitiation is the act of propitiating, placation, atonement, similar to expiation, 
which means that with God's great love and through the blood of Jesus Christ, he takes our sin from us and lifts it from us and forgives us. And he takes it, expiation means he takes it away from us, never to be retrieved again. He expiated my sin, never to be retrieved again. It's a wonderful word. We no longer have to be obligated to guilt and be a slave to guilt and shame because he took my place. And all the sin, according to Isaiah 53, was laid upon him. He bore our sins in his body so that we might be free from being slaves. You know, in conclusion, love is available for the asking. And I don't care, maybe somebody watching online today, somebody here in this worship center, saying, I've never really felt true love. I don't know what that is. True love is how God loves us and demonstrated it for us. And he, true love is demonstrated by saying, whosoever will may come. Love is available for the asking. Salvation is a free gift that God gave to us. True love from God is neither a fancy, right? It is constant, unconditional, inexhaustible, never-ending. It brings redemption to the most vile, the most unworthy persons, demonstrated and empowered by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and flows, as the songwriter once said, to the lowest valley and rises to the highest mountain. And he went on to say that the blood of Jesus Christ will never lose its power. It's available. He has the power not only to save us, but to keep us. And I challenge you today, whether watching online or whether you're here today, to surrender, to just simply say, as I said earlier, that God, whatever you have for me, I may not understand it. I can't comprehend it. Nobody has adequately described it to me yet. But whatever it is, I want it. And God will hear your prayer, and he will pour out his blessing on you. We bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for the love of God. Thank you for how you demonstrated it through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, through the shedding of his innocent blood for the guilty. Thank you, Lord God, for demonstrating your love to that, through that perfect sacrifice on Calvary and by raising Christ from the dead so that we too might share an eternal life with him when we trust in him as Savior. And I pray today, O oh God, for those watching either here or online, that, God, that they would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to encourage them to cry out to Him for salvation, to ask for the forgiveness that was provided for because of the cross. And now I'm going to just ask, just keep your heads bowed, and just quickly, is there someone here today in the worship center that would just simply say, Pastor, I'd like you to lead me in a prayer of receiving Christ as Savior today to be forgiven. Would you lift your hands high just real quick? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm looking around. God bless you. Yeah. Yeah. 
And those watching at home, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer of uh, forgiveness to receive Christ as Savior. If you pray it from your heart, believing it in your heart, and pray it outwardly, the Word of God says you will be saved. And it doesn't matter how vile, how far from God you are, Romans 10.13 says this, that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You're a candidate, you're a whosoever. So let's pray together, together, out loud. Heavenly Father, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me on the cross. He paid the penalty of my sin so that I might be forgiven. Lord Jesus, cleanse me from all my sin by the precious blood you shed on Calvary. Oh God, write my name in the Lamb's book of life so that I am eternally identified as yours. I thank you, Lord, for your unfathomable love. And I receive it. And I thank you. Amen, amen, amen.